Thank you for listening to Voices of UMass Med, a podcast produced by the University of Massachusetts Medical School's Office of Communications. Welcome to the Voices of UMass Med. Our guest today is Dr. Mireya Wesolowski, an associate professor at UMass Medical School who specializes in infectious diseases. She grew up, went to medical school in Venezuela, and has now been practicing in the U.S. for 20 years. And more recently, you added radio host to your repertoire. Dr. Wesolowski hosts a Spanish-speaking weekly call-in radio program to share general evidence-based information for good health. Dr. Mireya Wesolowski, welcome to Voices of UMass Med. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you. So what, let's start with that. Why did you want to host a radio show, and was it harder or easier than you thought it would be? Well, you know, I think we, we lack uh, a bridge to try to connect with the community. In, in my case, uh, the Spanish community, I felt that they needed more education in many topics, not only health, direct to health, but other ways of living and how to improve their well-being. And so I was actually inspired by one of my patients who had invited me to his radio show. It was more a religion type of thing, but he was talking also to the community, mainly to patients, uh, to actually uh, the community that is incarcerated, mm. because he was incarcerated. So his radio show was, and that's how I actually met him. Yeah. Um, as an infectious disease doctor, I was going to the Worcester County Jail to treat patients with HIV, and I met him there, and we connected. When he got released, he went to find me here at UMass, and we continue our you know, relationship, patient uh, and doctor. And then he invited me because we had cured his hepatitis C, and uh -huh. he wanted to kind of talk about, and he brought me to the radio station where I'm right now doing my, my program. And I was like, oh my God, I mean, this guy, you know, ex-convict, but yeah. who I know the story, and he's doing now a great job, mm -hmm. more related to religion, mm -hmm. but he has changed his life. And the story behind that is quite unique. But in any case, I said, if he can do it, I mean, I had to do it too. I felt a call to do it. And every time I give a talk or do my radio show, I, I learn more. I wondered about that. Does it impact the way that you interact with your patients in the clinic? It does. I mean, it's sometimes sometimes they, they recognize me. Um, oh, I am listening to you or whatever. But also, it, uh, it helped me to know that there are people listening to it, even though I don't see them. Yeah. And they are sometimes afraid to call back. Um, they, they, I know there are people listening to it. Um, Does it give you a better sense of what your patients might be curious about or how to explain things yes, clearly? Yes, and I actually asked them, I said, okay, I have the um, next Saturday, what do you want me to talk about? Yeah. And so, so they you know, have given uh, ideas for me to talk about because uh -huh. the interest. And so, yes, I have incorporated their interest too, which is great. I'm sure it's always been that way, but it seems like lately more than ever infectious disease specialists really need to be prepared to see anything yes. whether it's the flu or you turn on the news and it's E. coli or salmonella uh, Ebola even right yes. so why and, and more and more that we don't know because we always have emerging yeah. uh, diseases and that's why I actually enjoy doing infectious disease because there's always something new I don't get bored <laughs> doing that <laughs> 
uh, I always have to learn something, and, and I'm, I like to learn. So I think uh, uh, infectious disease has been always part of our life because we've been living around microbes, fungi, and viruses, and we have adapted to live with them. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes they invade us, mm -hmm. and that's when they become pathogen because we are surrounded and we are, you know, cover in and out with bacteria. And we, thank, thankfully, because we need them mm -hmm. to process our food, for example, but also to help us uh, not getting other pathogen. Yeah. So, but when they become pathogenic or they invade us and cause disease, that's when we, as a doctor, comes in uh, trying to, you know, fix the problem or recognize and then help. What are the things that worry you as a physician? What worries me is obesity. Really? Uh, and the poor diet and how people are eating uh, and living their lives so poorly in terms of physical activity, also mental um, disposition, uh, but diet is huge. Yeah. And, and why I'm connected with that is because I see a lot of diabetic food infection. I see a lot of people with addiction, so that's yeah. mental, the mental part, that they just use things that harm them, so yeah. endocarditis, infection in the heart valves, yeah. et cetera. And that worries me. I mean, the opioid addiction right now worries me. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not scared of the, you know, uh, bacteria and things like that. I'm more concerned about how people are utilizing their well-being. I'm surrounded by MRSA, you know, MRSA, mm -hmm. yes, VRE, influenza. I don't get sick. And I understand that it's because I, I, I know that you can really regulate your immune system. You can really uh, make yourself not vulnerable to certain things mm -hmm. and get your immune system to the point that you don't get sick. Mm -hmm. uh, that requires education. I understand that requires that people know what to eat, what not to eat, how to exercise, how to sleep. That's what I want to bring that to my community, the Hispanic so that community. they can make themselves as strong as possible from an immune system right. point of view, per They se. are not victim of things that surround it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm surrounded yeah. by those things the same way. And I think we can actually improve the well-being of people when they understand that, that eating yeah. soda doesn't help, right, for yeah. example. So it's interesting that you mentioned the opioid crisis. I checked the CDC's website just out of curiosity to see what the top you know, infectious diseases are, and they list salmonella and E. coli, and hepatitis A is now number three, or one of the top three, driven largely by the opioid crisis. Is that something that you're experiencing? Well, as a actually, mm, I haven't seen that much. I'm, you know, located in, in central Massachusetts. What we see more often, I think, is uh, endocarditis, bone infection, sepsis in the yeah. joint. Yeah. Uh, from introducing uh, through the uh, needles, dirty needles, or even clean needles, is their own skin that are being constantly, you know, introducing bacteria into their bloodstream, and then they get mm -hmm. infection that are really nasty. I've seen, uh, in a weekly basis, young people less than 30 years old getting destroyed their valve, needed a heart valve, really? brains with abscesses, 
knees destroy. I mean, it's really hard from to stemming from opioid use, correct, or drug use. Yes, illicit drug yeah. Use. So that's that's what worries me the most mm -hmm. too in among the patient with opioid hepatitis A. I haven't seen it that much. You're listening to Voices of UMass Med, featuring the people, ideas, and advances of the University of Massachusetts Medical School. So you said you, you see a lot of people with uh, HIV who are managing that as a chronic illness and Lyme disease. I, I want to talk about HIV though for a minute. I'm curious yeah. how you got into treating and yes. how you've seen the care change over 20 years. Well, I, I I'm old enough that I had been since the epidemic started in the yeah. 80s. That's when the, I started my medical school. And I remember in microbiology learning about this virus and it was kind of mysterious and whatever. Yeah. I saw all the evolution through my career, honestly. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to do internal medicine. And then at that time, and I'm talking about 89, 91, 92, the, um, our word, uh, the, uh, all the, the f beds were full of young people with HIV and their opportunistic infection. So yeah. I started getting in touch with them and I really got interested in mm -hmm. infectious disease because of trying to, um, it was fascinated for intellectually, but yeah. also uh, seeing this epidemic and real life and how we could help. And then I start seeing all the medication coming slowly, truly until 96 when I was doing my fellowship, it was a turning point where it became no longer a dead sentence. So I saw patients right. living longer and longer and now I have patients that have been with me since then. And that, in the field of science and medicine, that is a relatively short time to not know anything about a disease, and now we can manage yes. it. And I have to say that even uh, we are an accelerated path because we, it took a little longer to identify the virus, okay, about mm -hmm. three years, and there was battle between two big titan, um, you know, here in the United States and France and whatever until they find out what the virus was. Mm -hmm. And then it was how to treat it, how to have medication to try to kill it. Mm -hmm. uh, and we were able to do that, and we were able to suppress the virus, and that's what we have gotten far, that they are living with that, but we haven't been able to cure it. Right. So it became now a chronic illness. Uh, HIV now is like having diabetes or hypertension. As long as they take their medication faithfully, they live a normal life. But you talk about wards full of pa patients, patients in beds with you know, HIV and medical students today who work alongside you will have a completely different experience. Correct, I mean, I, they, they, the medicine is different. I mean, yeah. and we, even with the fellow, with infectious disease fellow that I train, I, I talk, I, mean, I said, you haven't seen what we saw, yeah. thankfully, right? But when we have a case of opportunistic infection, which still occurred, like cryptococcal meningitis or toxoplasmosis, it's like a rare thing happening, right? Before it was like a daily thing. Um, and so that's great that we don't, but we need to still you know, keep them trained enough that they know to, how to identify, how to treat those yeah. patients. And I'm optimistic that eventually, I hope in my life, I can see 
somebody finding the cure uh, of this illness. And, and again, I'd be more than happy not having a job yeah. as an HIV if we find the job. Talking about that, for yeah. example, hepatitis C, which is one of the things that I do, um, I also had been treated hepatitis C when we didn't have a good medication. It was really very uncomfortable medication, the pegylated interferon and ribavirin, would make people loosen their hair, um, not eating, losing weight, and the treatment lasted for 48 weeks, wow. feeling awful, awful. And many patients couldn't tolerate the side effect. Mm -hmm. And so now, um, for the last four years, we have wonder medication, which mm -hmm. with one pill, you in three months, you can cure patients. Wow. So now I can see that we can cure, eradicate hepatitis C from the earth, hopefully. And it's because we have a, a chronic infection that is curable. And we, even though we don't have vaccine, but if everybody get treated, then we can eradicate it. Really encouraging progress yes. in the course of one career. Yeah. So we mentioned you grew up in Venezuela. I wonder what your childhood was like. Were there doctors in your family? I actually coming from a lineage of uh, doctors. Uh, my father was a scientist, a doctor, but yeah. his dedication was more scientist. And he was working in the lab. And I remember he was a neurophysiology, so he was working more with the brain. And I remember Tiny going with him, and he had all this cat with electricity drove stuff and, on the head and my mom was and when she was taking me to the hospital she was seeing patients so I said no I prefer to be a animal doctor than a human doctor uh -huh. <laughs> when I grew up I knew he was a, a human doctor but just doing uh, you know animal yeah. research and thing like that but I have ankles and grandparents and you know and a, a big family of uh, doctor and so um, what was your experience in coming to the United States what brought you in fact, HIV. I mean, I wanted to be trained where the epicenter of good research in HIV was. And, um, and also, uh, infectious disease related with transplant. Mm -hmm. uh, I had been uh, doing some, uh, the, pre the first uh, transplant done in Venezuela, I was part of the team. Hmm. And I was lucky to be part of that team. Uh, we ha I had what seen kind of the first was liver transplant. A liver transplant. Yeah. Wow. Because kidney they were doing, but liver transplant, they had never done it. And the hospital was where I was trained. They did the first six transplant, and I just happened to be like hmm. curious and going into their meeting and how they were, you know, starting to build up. So I said, I'm going to be there. So I, I was participating from the beginning until the end. And uh, so they actually, they were one who sent me with a scholarship to do some research and from the research I start doing my board and mm -hmm. taking the, the test to, mm -hmm. you know, do infectious disease and, mm -hmm. um, and then I said, okay, I'm going to be trained and then I decided to stay for many reasons. Yeah. yeah. And so what was your immigrant experience like? You know, I guess that would be about 20 years ago. And what has it been like for you to, you know, get acclimated in a new profession? So the profession? hardest part was uh, the language. I yes. mean, um, I could read easily. I could um, understand, but mm -hmm. talking mm -hmm. was the difficult part for me. Um, so that, that was uh, must, the, the most difficult part, but you know, just practicing and practicing and making mi mistakes here and there. Uh, 
I, um, well, it's I like think learning I'm, two languages almost. It's English and then medical terminology too. Right. right. But, but remember, I mean, our books, I, I read books in English. Uh -huh. So my medical education was with uh, books in English. Mm -hmm. It was cheaper mm -hmm. than getting translated. And besides, I wanted to really learn English. So I, I had no problem reading and, and the language was, uh, the, the medical, you know, was, uh, me the medical term was understood okay. for yeah. me, comfortable and whatever. It was just me talking. Yeah. But um, as I, you know, practiced like anything, I, then I got comfortable, I think, <laughs> that, I, that I can communicate better. Uh, but then um, it was really good. I mean, I, I felt that I, I went to Boston first yeah. where I did clinical research and I loved the city. I loved the environment. I was like, oh my God. I, I felt like it was home. Really? Uh, I don't know why, but I felt this is home for me. A but little then, bit colder though. Yes, <laughs> but it was interesting. I mean, I mean, I really enjoyed and I still enjoy the Four Seasons like nobody. I really love the, four, the mark, very marked Four Seasons. I did um, get into UMass, and that's how, um, for my fellowship, and I really loved it. I mean, I think uh, um, I felt great um, at UMass. I, I felt like it was a fun place to be, even though I was in uh, Harvard mm -hmm. Hospital doing research. Mm -hmm. They were much workaholic. Here I felt that it was work but also family. People yeah. were talking about family, about outdoor activities, about sports. So I felt like more whole here yeah. than I felt in, in Boston. And you know, this moment in time we're seeing so many battles being fought over immigration, you know, mm -hmm. in a variety mm -hmm. of ways. And so how does that compare, contrast to your own experience as an immigrant? I have to say that <clears throat> maybe um, my case is unique, but I have never felt discriminated. Um, um, I don't know if it's my, I, my, my accent immediately distinguished me from being from somewhere. And people are curious, I mean, where are you from? And you know, I say I'm from Venezuela, but I have never felt discriminated. I felt honestly a lot of integration and diversity. Um, it's sad to see lately that it, some people wants to break that, but I think they're going to fail. Mm -hmm. I think this is just uh, getting the dirt out of the, the great country that is United States as a d diverse country. Mm -hmm. um, I think they're just, you know, going from one side to the other until they find uh, a great point. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, I don't like what I'm seeing, but I understand that sometimes you need to bring these things up and uh, mm -hmm. let it brush and, and point. And I think there are people, I, I feel that with my daughter, where she is much more uh, mm, liking the diversity. Mm -hmm. And even though she is from Hispanic parents, mm -hmm but she includes a lot of people and she understands the importance of including everybody because we are the same. And I have to say that United States, even though we think, oh, whatever, racial, yes, they've been a huge thing about race, racial uh, discrimination by far, I mean, historically or whatever, but, but they've been very open. I mean, the, this country has been built because of the immigration and all coast, east and west and yeah. south and, and north. I mean, 
Uh, Canada is another great country that opened their doors, but you go to England and you are not, you are born in England. If your parents are not <laughs> England, you're not in England. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so in the yeah, United we're the States. melting pot, right? Yes, so I, I think it's fantastic. And I learned actually that the more diverse and the more you open you are with immigration, the economy is better. And I think we're going to see that in a few years mm -hmm. where we've been closing things and people are starting to feel it. Because immigration bring allow the, the, the community to be the same kind of size, uh, young people, middle age and older. So if you have that type, it, uh, the economy is better than if you have too many kids and few adults or the way around yeah. where you have few kids oh, and too many age. Yeah, so uh, I, th I hope that we can uh, reverse what we see these days and I'm optimistic that that will happen. So um, the last thing I want to ask you is, um, having practiced medicine in two fairly different countries, what are, what are the differences that you see? Big, big difference. Big and differences. I happened to go to Bolivia as part of an uh, elective that we have. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a connection between University of Massachusetts with a university uh, down in Bolivia where we bring medical students. So I still connected with the... South America. South America. Mm -hmm. in, um, and I know how hard it is when you don't have all the resources that we have here. So I had the privilege of living in both mm -hmm. worlds because when you don't have much, then your clinical skills are much more sharper. Mm -hmm. You don't have an MRI to diagnose things. You don't have a CT scan. So you have to use your your hands, oh, your, that's really interesting. your interrogation, your history, your, you know, um, to, and that's what happened when I bring my students down to Bolivia where they can see, no, you cannot do an MRI. You cannot do that. What would you think? What do you think? Right. What are the differential right. diagnoses? What would you do? And sometimes you have to treat empirically based on your clinical thing. And um, so they, I think seeing both sides is, is uh, for me, it's been great. Um, we have uh, way to go. Uh, but it, it, it's mainly resources, economic resources. It's very expensive, the yes. medicine we do here. Yes. Uh, down yes. there, I mean, for them, it's really hard. Yeah. Uh, but they, they still, you know, see patients and try to treat. So it's, what it's a great, great learning experience for today's medical students to, yeah. to see. Yeah, uh, they like that elective, an and I, I enjoy going the, with them, too. What a pleasure to talk to you and learn your story. Thank you for making time. Dr. Maria Wesolowski is an infectious disease specialist and an associate professor at UMass Medical School. Thanks for spending some time with us. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you for listening to Voices of UMass Med, a podcast produced by the Office of Communications at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. Visit our website at umassmed.edu slash news where you can find all of our podcasts. And follow us on Facebook at UMass Med, on LinkedIn at University of Massachusetts Medical School, and on Twitter at UMass Medical. Mm -hmm.